Hello and welcome to St. Paul's United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Mike Agnew and it's great to have you listening to our sermons. We are located in Cherokee, Iowa at 531 West Main Street across from the courthouse. And if you'd like to check us out in person, we have Sunday school at 9 o'clock and worship at 1010. You can also find us on our website at www.cherokeemethodist.com. There you can find a wealth of information, including newsletters and bulletins, and see what kind of things are going on at the church. Well, this Sunday is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. Lent is a 40-day season leading up to the celebration of Easter. It's kind of like Advent, but longer. And it, it doesn't include Sundays, because Sundays are always celebrations. They're always like little mini Easter celebrations, although... During Lent, we still focus on that Lenten, some of those Lenten ideas and hymns of Lent and things of that nature. And this year during Lent, we're going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus. The I Am statements of Jesus are statements that Jesus makes about himself and who he is. Each time he uses, he starts by saying, I am, which if that sounds familiar to you, that's because it comes from Exodus. When Moses encounters God at the burning bush and he asks what his name is, God says something that is roughly translated as, I am that I am. And so when the author of the Gospel of John has Jesus saying, I am this and this and that, what he is saying is he's making a very clear claim for Jesus' divinity, that he is God. Now, of the four Gospels, you will only find these I am statements in the Gospel of John. Many scholars believe John is the latest gospel to be written towards the end of the first century, and that it's very unique among the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, on the other hand, are called the synoptic gospels because they are very similar to one another. Uh, Most scholars believe that Mark was probably written first, the shortest gospel, and then Matthew and Luke had Mark available as they wrote, and that could account for why some parts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are almost verbatim the same, but then Matthew and Luke each have their own unique material. And so John, however, is unlike the three other Gospels. Whereas the first three focus on Jesus' message of the coming of the kingdom of God and more on his miracles and parables, John has few, if any, parables. And He focuses instead on the speeches of Jesus or the teachings of Jesus about other things. So John is much more concerned with who Jesus is theologically than what he did and what he taught through stories. So you see this difference right away in the beginning, in John 1.1. And one of our scripture readings is John 1.1-9, and I'm going to read that for you now. It says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. All right, so that's the first nine verses, but you can feel the difference right away, can't you? 
I mean, this is the closest thing we get to a birth story in John. And this beginning in just a few verses tells us a lot about Jesus. Now, of course, he doesn't use the word Jesus. He uses the term word or the word. Now, the word is an interesting idea in Jewish thought and in their writings. See, the word was a concept in Jewish writings that referred to wisdom. Uh, wisdom is oftentimes personified in Jewish thought as a woman. So the best example of this is in Proverbs, where wisdom is personified as a woman, and the people are encouraged to find her. In other words, to find wisdom, right? So it's pretty clearly metaphorical. It's not meant to be taken literally in the Proverbs, although there are other Jewish writings that are not in the Old Testament, but were written in between the Testaments. We call this collection of writings the Apocrypha. We don't consider them to have the same authority as the rest of Scripture, but nonetheless, some faith traditions do, and for a period of time, the Jewish people also did. So in some of the apocryphal writings, their wisdom is personified even further. Lady Wisdom is portrayed as kind of like a goddess who was with God in the beginning and was involved in creation. So then when the word pops up in the Gospel of John... This would have been in the mind of the readers of that day. But here, the author of John equates the word not with Lady Wisdom, but with Jesus. So the word, meaning Jesus, was with God in the beginning and was God himself. You see, this developing theology that would eventually become the Trinity, although it would take three to four hundred more years for that process to be completed. You can see its development here. This is saying that Jesus is God. Elsewhere in the Gospel of John, it says that if, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus said he only says what his Father tells him to say, and he and the Father are one. So the Gospel of John wants to make it really clear that Jesus is the same as the Father. Even though they're separate and distinct, they are the same. This idea is big in this gospel. So it's, it's not wisdom, it's Jesus who's with God from the beginning. And it's Jesus who is involved in creation. Uh, so using the idea of the word, you could say Jesus is what God has to say to us. Interestingly enough, in John 3.17, it states that Jesus was not sent to condemn the world, but to save it. I've heard it said before that God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, so I doubt he sent you, which is kind of a funny way of saying, let's not be so quick to point fingers and condemn people. The word, or Jesus, is God and was with God from the beginning. We also learn that Jesus was involved in creation and that he is the source of life. Uh, in verse 4, it says, in him was life and that life was the light of all humankind. So Jesus is the source of life. Your ability to breathe, to smile, to move, etc. It's all, it's all from God, but we could also say Jesus. And then in John, it also says something that's interesting. Light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now, what is the author meaning when talking about darkness? Well, darkness represents anything opposed to the will of God. But... 
you know, the big three, what sums it all up would be evil, sin, and death, right? I mean, you can say there are other things, but these are the big three. Um, it could be argued that evil is the result of sin, but nonetheless, they feel a little different. So evil, sin, and death, those are, those are the three big enemies that we have to contend with. Now, sin in the Bible is thought of in different ways or metaphors, and they're all valid in some way. Probably the most common way that we think of sin is we think of it as things we do or don't do, right? Things that we, we do or don't do that are against the will of God. We do this in a prayer of confession. Uh, forgive us for the things we have done and the things we have left undone in word, thought, or deed, right? So that's one way to think about it, you know, individual things that we do. But sin is not just an individual thing. In addition, it can also refer to collective or corporate sin. When there are systems in place in the world that keeps people in a state of oppression, uh, that, that's, that's something that would be called sinful or evil. But it's hard to pin it on any one person because it's systemic. It's baked into society. It is, it is something that perhaps has been going on for generations. And so some, you know, if you try to pin one person down, they could be like, well, I didn't do anything. You know, I'm not guilty of this or that. And yet systemic sin is something that's just so baked into our society that sometimes it's hard to even see. So sometimes, whether individual or collective, sin is seen as actions that are done that are against the will of God. But oftentimes in the Bible, sin is also viewed as being like a cosmic force that it has power over us, that we are almost helpless against, that we are enslaved to. A power, obviously, is more than an action. It's almost like an outside force. And the actions that we do are a symptom of this force that has us captive. And so according to this line of thinking, this metaphor, Jesus is victorious, conquers the power of sin, evil, and death through his death and resurrection. And so in church history and still today in some traditions, when Jesus is... After he is crucified, but before he's risen from the dead, there are artistic representations where Jesus is depicted as inv as invading the gates of hell and emptying hell of its occupants, setting them free and undoing the fall of Adam. So that's another way of thinking about sin as, as this outside cosmic force. But we also see sin portrayed in Scripture as an illness that we need cured of. You know, when challenged about why he spends time with non-religious people, Jesus states in Matthew 9 that it, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Sin then becomes a condition that we need cured of. This, these are all different ways to think about sin. None are wrong or right. But the darkness represents that which is opposed to the will of God, which can be summed up as sin, evil, and death. And as I said, or as the gospel says, light shines in the darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. Folks, this is the greatest news we could ever hope to have. You know, sometimes it may seem that darkness is perfectly capable of overcoming the light of Christ. We hear about division, war, politics, greed, hate, violence, threats of worldwide disaster. And let me tell you, the media will do absolutely nothing to calm your fears about these things. Because number one, there's plenty to report on, and number two, fear drives ratings. 
Um, I, I wouldn't say things are necessarily worse than they were in Jesus' day. They had things to contend with then. People were oppressed and Jesus was killed after all. But I think that one difference that we have is the large-scale dimension of things now or the global dimension of things and the fact that we actually have the ability to destroy all life on our planet if we chose to do so. And the threat is very real. So sin, evil, and death are still around us, but guess what? It cannot overcome the light of Christ. You would think that it could, right? I mean, you you would think that death would do it, right? Nail the guy to a cross, watch him die before your eyes, seems like an open and shut case. Death overcame him, but not so fast. When all seemed lost, the tomb was empty. The darkness did not and cannot overcome the light. And I know I'm starting to preach an Easter message here, but as again, as I said in the beginning, all Sundays are little Easters and none of this Lent stuff really makes sense without it anyway, right? Ash Wednesday that we had last Wednesday, the Ash Wednesday message is that we are all made from the dust and will return to the dust. Uh, That's a pretty depressing message without the end of the story. But in light of Easter, it all makes sense. Things may look bad, but because of Jesus, we know how the story ends. But that's not an excuse to just sit back and not care about things. It's not an excuse to just not care about making the world a better place. We're not called to just do nothing and let Jesus take the wheel. No, we're not called to let Jesus take the wheel. Jesus still wants you to drive. He's with us, but he wants you to drive because he calls us to do what is in our power to make the world a better place because guess what? Jesus isn't walking the earth anymore like he was. But the good news is you are. And the good news is he is in you through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the light of the world and until he returns, that light is shown through you and me and us working together both individually and collectively to overcome the powers of sin and evil and death in our own age and in our own way. So I'm going to end this message with two scriptures. John eight twelve says, I am the light of the world. These are the words of Jesus. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Matthew 5 says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. God bless and have a great week.